our boy something and he's not our boy, like it'd be cool if I could bleep you. <laughs> <That'd be cool laughs> if you they just gave me the power. If I had the bleep button. Wouldn't that be cool? Well, hey there, freaks. Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy, Marty Bent. You've been fucking recording. I recorded a little bit. Yeah. Matt wants a beep, a bleep button. But not for curses. Not for just curses. Just for shit corners. For when I call people our boy and they're yeah. not our boy. Just bleep it out. Put it on the list. Hey, it's, uh, what's today? 29th? Yeah, it's the 29th. It's March 29th. Bitcoin's pumping a little bit. Uh, the price, according to the trade block, XBX index is $4,083.33. This week's episode of the Rabbit Hole Recap is brought to you by Unchained Capital. They have that two or three multi-sig volt uh, solution that they just came out with. Uh, perfect for anybody running a business. Needs a third party to help them with their multi-sig sol- solution. If you're an individual, this is, perfect. This is a good solution for you as well. Uh, Unchained, they're actually going to be in New York City Monday night uh, debuting their multi-sig vault. Uh, I believe they're working on uh, air-gapped offline transactions as well that they'll be debuting there as well. Um, So if you're in New York, Monday night, 6.30 at uh, Galvanize, they're going to be giving a demo there. Um, And then also, if you're signing up for the vault program, you're going to get three months free of the Bitcoin Standard Bulletin by our boy, Saifedina Moose. Uh, Matt, we got we got a quick recording after this episode, so we got to get through our list. We're going to try and keep it an hour, maybe 50 minutes to an hour this episode. Let's jump right into it. I want to start with Bitmain. So Bitmain uh, became apparent this week that their application for the IPO in China expired, so they're not going public right now or anytime soon, it seems like. It seems like uh, Jihan Wu is stepping down. And, and his co-founder, too, what Mike Kron Zahn, I think his name is. Yes. Zan. Yes, both ste- stepping down. So it seems like Bitmain, uh, a story that we've gone back to the well for here on Rabbit Hole Recap, uh, is turning into more of a train wreck than than previously thought. Yeah, they uh, they came at the king and they, they fucking missed. They didn't go full out. Yeah, Bitcoin is a cruel, unforgiving bitch. That was such a good, that was such a good line in the bent. Right? It's, uh, if you think that you have the power to change her, whether it be by uh, throwing hash power or money, I think uh, Bitcoin will teach you a harsh lesson, and Bitmain is learning that lesson right now. And at least, like, go for the double tap, you know? What do you mean by the double tap? It's like, we've talked about this before, like, and when when the Coinbase Ninja launch thing happened and there was all the chaos, they, they had a move there. They could have They could have forced a Bitcoin POW change. They could have went all in, but instead they like half-assed their Bitcoin cash takeover attempt and it, it completely, completely screwed them. Like if you're going to attack Bitcoin, you got to, you got to go for the kill. You can't just shoot it in the knee. <laughs> it was a shot to the knee, shot to the shin. It was pretty annoying. Yeah. That's why the double tap is when the person's lying on the ground and you shoot him in the head. It's the double tap. Oh uh, yeah. Double tap. Um, I, I believe my neighbor who's a, who's a big tea bagger. Uh, I can't see him playing Halo every once in a while. He would, he would double tap. He's big on the double tap. There you Huge go. Huge double tap guy. Uh, so what do you think happens with Bitmain? Do you think they recover from this? Do you think they can remain like a smaller business and sort of chug along? Or do you think this is it for them? I don't think they go out of business. No. But, uh, the days of, of the line, the mining landscape being dominated by Bitmain are probably, are probably over. 
Yeah, and one interesting stipulation about this uh, is that there is a redemption clause in their in their investors' contracts. It was only the round right before. They were raising the pre-IPO round. Yes, so the pre-IPO round, I don't know exactly how much they raised. It might have been $100 million or something like that. It was a decent amount of money. Uh, I think it was higher than that. I thought it was been, like $700 million or something like that. It might have been like that, that much. I, I, might, I might have misread something. Uh, but regardless, there's a clause in that specific round where the investors can redeem their shares. So uh, if the IPO doesn't happen, which the, is not happening, which is so. not happening. So they're, I would imagine a lot of those investors are going to redeem their shares. It'll be interesting to see uh, where Bitmain pulls that capital from. It may be uh, they they might have to sell Bitcoin cash. Yeah. I mean, basically the Bitmain philosophy was they just kept going high leverage and reinvesting it in the business and going big. And then when the bull run finally ended, it, it caught them off guard. If they had like a couple more months to get, that was the whole beauty of the IPO. They could get to the IPO, get the ridiculous valuation they were hoping for. They could get out just in time before the bear happened. And they just they just tripped at the, at the finish line. Yeah, the train left without them. And uh, again, this has been my line with Bitmain. They are the Icarus story of the early Bitcoin uh, industry, if you will. And Icarus is falling to the ground right now. It is extremely bullish for Bitcoin. I, I cannot, I cannot uh, say that any. It 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 could not be it could not be more important. It is extremely important. The biggest threat to Bitcoin was Bitmain in late 2017, early 2017, even early 2018. That area we were under heavy. Not even just Bitmain possibly attacking us. But Bit, Bitmain getting co-opted by like the Chinese government and then attacking us. Yeah, so this is definitely bullish uh, for many reasons. One, a government like China can't can't control Bitmain and be a, use Bitmain as a proxy. And two, it just allows other players to come in and decentralize the mining industry in particular a little bit more. All right, that was the first in particular. I'm going to try and not say it for the rest of the podcast. Keep me to it. In particular? Yes. Okay. Um, no promises. So that was Bitmain. Yeah, good luck, Bitmain. It seems like things are pretty shitty over there right now. Uh, Coinbase. It leaked, or was there an announcement, or did it leak? I saw a tweet that it leaked. Somebody leaked a screenshot, but whatever. The news is out. Coinbase is enabling staking features for their Tezos, uh, for their institutional. It, it was a press release. It was a press release. I saw a tweet. Somebody leaked it before the press release. I mean. Tezos was up 17% over the last day before the press release was unembargoed. So I, I, I imagine they sent it out to news agencies ahead of time, too. So, And it's up 100% over the last month. So if you, you, know, you want to say that's not insider trading, but there's probably something went on there. Yeah. So as you freaks can assume from this conversation, Coinbase, for their institutional clients, I believe, to start, uh, have enabled staking for Tezos and plan to... Uh, enable staking for Maker as well. Their so. fee is a, hilariously high. It's like twenty percent, I think. They're taking off the top. Really? Yeah, of all staking profits on. I think the Tezos nor like the the normalized fee after they take their cut and everything is like six percent or something like that. Yeah, let's yearly. Talk, let's talk about you've been uh, grooming a thread for almost two years now, for a year and a half at least. Uh, so let's talk about the nature of these exchanges and the centralizing nature of of uh, offering staking services. Well, it's a centralizing incentive of proof of stake systems inherently. Um, 
these custodians exchanges are tend to be the largest custodians of these assets um, have a direct incentive to stake their user funds and then return either they're like a straight up malicious exchange just keep it for themselves but um, if they're a competitive exchange then give some of that return back to their users to attract the users onto the product to begin with. Because if they're keeping money on the exchange, then they're more likely to use the exchange for other services, trading other alt pairs, stuff like that. Um, so it's like a value-add service. Uh, specifically, things like Tezos, which are designed to stake relatively easily in cold storage environments um, and and without that much penalty, there's not really... Uh, Tezos has no lockup. Like, you don't get rewarded... If you it, there's a delay to get a reward, so it's like a soft lockup, like you have to wait like 20 days or something like that to start getting paid. Uh, but there's no actual lockup. At any point, you can pull the funds out of a staking address and give it to your users. So there's really there's very little negative for the exchange from a process point of view. Now the issue here is exchanges are already major centralizing forces in our ecosystem. They're the easiest to regulate because they're usually connected to banks. You know, Coinbase, obviously, they're, 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 you need to connect your bank account. They're completely captured by the regulatory system. And they're very easy to regulate in that regard. Out of all things in this ecosystem, the exchanges are the easiest. So now, not only are exchanges naturally a centralizing force, but if you add proof of stake into this mix, then they're also validating your chain. They become even more of a centralizing force. And what that means is, is if, if, if Coinbase is holding, you know, ends up holding 20% of Tezos or whatever, they'll also be the 20% uh, miner of Tezos at the same time. That's crazy. That's absolutely, that's a, a horrible incentive structure. And the thing is, these exchanges in a lot of senses are prioritized. They're not doing it yet. I mean, we talked about Coinbase. They're charging a 20% fee, which is crazy. Uh, but I think in the future, they will even give you returns that are higher than what you would get if you did a normal self-custody staking because they want you to trade on their platform, give them fees, give them leverage over other exchanges. You know, they want to be the one who stakes the most. Yeah. Do you think or have you heard of uh, a G-hash-like self-regulation where if they got too much of, of the supply, they would not allow more people to stake with them well we you know we haven't gotten to that point yet um this is still very fresh like all the other examples i had were mostly like random ass exchanges on random ass coins with the exception being binance who's been going pretty heavy on this but obviously they're not like a regulated entity in a lot of ways uh, not like coinbase they're like the first like real legitimate regulated exchange uh so we'll see like i i the the exchanges have less incentive. Like Ghash was a Bitcoin focused company. Yeah, they so had a direct incentive to make sure that that the Bitcoin network was not seen as overly centralized. But if you're a Coinbase and you have thirty different coins on your platform and you stake all these different coins, do you really care? Like if the Tezos community is like, oh, you're at forty percent. Like I don't know if that incentive is as strong. Um, it's not as aligned as well. They're inherently multi-coiners, right? They're inherently not ideologically driven by either any chain. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I think this is a good opportunity to, to give a little Bitcoin history lesson here with Ghash. 
What year was that? 2013, 2014? Yeah, they arose during the 2013 bull and they disappeared in the ensuing bear, I think. Yeah, so at one point, this was a mining pool, ghash.io. They had amassed up to... Four- it was cloud mining, which was big. They were a mining pool plus cloud mining, so anyone could buy hash rate and trade it on their platform, but they controlled all the hash. Mm-hmm. So th- they were even worse than a regular pool because they actually controlled the hardware, the majority of the hardware that was in their pool. It wasn't like other miners from around the world were pointing it at them. Yes, and they get, got to a point where they amassed, what, like 40 to 45%? It might have even passed 50 for a little bit. I think so. Yeah, it might have gotten above, and, and Ghash came out and said, hey, we... Obviously, we're not going to 51% attack the network. And then on top of that, they we, got caught 51%ing a couple times. Wasn't it like it? gambling sites, like like Satoshi Dice type sites? I'm not I'm not uh, certain of that. I don't know. There was rumors, at least, that weren't perfectly substantiated that there was a couple of, couple attacks against illegal sites. So they knew they weren't going to get uh, get hurt as bad of a blowback. Yeah. Um, yes, but they did. Uh, I can't confirm. That sounds like it's plausible. But even so, they came out and said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna make it so we can never have more than forty percent." And then they just disappeared. Right, but that was all trust anyway, because they could have just moved it to other pools. But yeah, then they just went out of business with the bear market. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cloud mining is a very fickle odd business. Very yeah. fickle business. Um, the other thing that's worth mentioning here is that in proof of stake chains, you know, we always talk about not your keys, not your coins. At least. With a proof of work chain, as long as you practice that yourself, you're Gucci. You know, it doesn't matter. Like Coinbase gets taken down, all their funds seized or whatever. doesn't matter to you as long as you don't have money on Coinbase, as long as it's your own keys. But if one of these exchanges is holding a ton of Tezos or a ton of Ethereum after proof of stake and they either get robbed or they get taken down by a government, that becomes a security risk. For the entire chain, every single user of the chain, you know, if 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 a POS chain gets an ETF and that ETF amasses sixty percent of the of sixty percent of the coin supply, then all of a sudden the guys in charge of the ETF can fifty one percent your network. You know, like that's crazy to me. Yeah, and it's it's almost like people pushing for proof of stake can't see this and maybe they won't see it until it's right in front of their face. And maybe we'll know sooner rather than later as, as this practice uh, becomes more popular. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we've said this a couple times on, uh, on other pods that there's still very strong support in the POS communities. And we really basically need, We've never had a big chain that was running proof of stake. So we need these big chains to happen and fail before this actually, before people admit that it's an issue, right? Yes. Yeah. So we shall see. The uh, The ball is definitely rolling in that direction. Uh, so Coinbase, if you're an institutional investor with some Tezos, you want to stake it, you can do it there. Uh, mainstream media came out with a very good Bitcoin blog this morning. Of course, they put it behind the paywall. It is behind a paywall. Um, I was able to access it. Somebody shared a copy with me in some some way to to, to route around the paywall. But it was a very good article, uh, specifically talking about what Steve Barber and Upstream Data are doing in Alberta, Canada, at the natural gas fracking sites up there. Uh, what they're doing is they're they're going and they're capping the the methane and natural gas which otherwise would be released into the atmosphere 
and they're turning that into Bitcoin. Uh, just in terms of public image of Bitcoin in the mainstream, this is probably one of the best articles I've seen in probably years to actually like give a good a good uh, argument for Bitcoin, which is energy efficiency. I mean, I think his company is called what Upstream Data. Yes, um, we've covered it in the past. It's the ultimate case study for Bitcoin because literally the methane that they're that they flare off the natural gas that they flare off is bad for the environment unless it gets burned. It's like something like 30 to 40 times worse than actually burning it. Yeah, so using the miners to power the miners off of it is creating a direct benefit to the environment. It's not just like offsetting or whatever. It's direct, directly making the environment better. Um, Steve seems awesome. We know him from online. Hopefully we get him on the pod soon. What I really thought was interesting about this Wall Street Journal article was there was no... Like no four paragraphs copy paste on the bottom that was like Bitcoin was created in two thousand eight. Like, blah 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 blah. You know they always do that on every Bitcoin article. Yeah, and it's like we're finally getting to the more mature stage of the market cycles where people are like they know what Bitcoin is. You don't have to put the stupid ass copy paste on the bottom explaining what it is. Exactly, that's a good sign. It's a very good sign. And I guess we should tell the freaks out there. We were out there molding the minds of uh, the youth of France this morning. Uh, we went to Baruch College to talk about Bitcoin, uh, and the class was filled with a majority of French exchange students. Is it 28 undergrads? Yeah, something like that. Uh, it was a fun experience, but this is a topic that we got into, and I, I really do think I noticed at least some eyes pop up when we jumped into this energy uh, topic in particular. Ah, damn it, number two. Uh, this energy topic. A in lot particular. Of, a lot of eyes peaked, a lot of uh, ears peaked up, perked up, uh, and I, I think, again, this is something I've been saying more recently is that I think the uh, Bitcoin as a synthetic battery, as a way to be, become an energy efficient society is a very good uh, framing and narrative. That's all I had to say about that. That was pretty cool that we spoke in front of a college class today. Yeah. Well, how'd it feel? It was your first time. I've done it twice before today. Uh, it's my third time. But uh, yes, yeah, shout out to Charles Wong, uh, adjunct professor at Baruch College here in New York, teaching a blockchain class. I've gone... And he's on Twitter, too. He's on Crypto Twitter. Yeah, he's on Twitter. He's uh, had him on Tales from the Crypt. There's an interview. I forget what number it is, but you guys can go through the archives. It's there. Um, and he does a very good job of bringing guests in to to speak with these students. And it's always fun. I had a lot of fun today. Yeah, that was great. It was a great interview uh, that you had with him. I remember listening to that. That was my first introduction to him. And I didn't talk to all my friends that told me my Twitter shit posting would get me nowhere. That's pretty cool. <laughs> right that it seems it was a very engaging class that's what was uh uh encouraging to me at least See, these kids were looking to learn asking very good questions there were some incredible questions asked too yeah i think you know there was like five or six future future powerful bitcoiners in there <laughs> no, one girl in the first row she was on her shit asking really good questions pertaining to uh the topic of conversation we're having now with exchanges. Uh, yeah, yeah, a woman, woman from my heart. She's like, <laughs> what do we, what do we do about people storing their Bitcoin on Coinbase? No, <laughs> um, yeah, so that was encouraging. Uh, always feels good to go see what the younger kids are saying. Uh, this question was just posed to us before we hit record, but Bitcoin SV hash rates plummeting. Uh, why aren't we attacking it? Why isn't it being attacked? This is a good time for uh, our Dan Dark Pill shout out. Oh yeah, Craig Wright is a fraud. He is indeed a fraud. Say it loud and say it proud. Craig Wright, you're a fraud. Brought to you by Dan Dark Pill. 
free sponsorship of the day. Um, Bitcoin Cash SV hasn't been attacked yet because it hasn't been profitable enough to attack it yet. It's super easy to attack. They're always under risk of being attacked. But you have to think about it. These miners, Bitcoin miners, like to attack Bitcoin SV isn't a, a free endeavor. They, they lose the opportunity cost of mining Bitcoin while they're doing the attack. So there needs to be a profit motive for them there. So what's the profit motive for attacking a chain? There's two things you can do. You can either short it or you can do a double spend attack on an exchange that supports it and steal their money. Uh, there's not that many exchanges that ex support Bitcoin and Cash SV, and they use heavy confirmation numbers uh, to keep any kind of attack in that realm relatively small. So really, if they don't fade into irrelevance, which they probably will, but if they don't and they last around a little bit longer and it goes up in value a little bit, then we'll probably start seeing more markets you know, come around that you can short. And once once you're able to short it, then an attack can become very profitable, especially if it's somewhere unregulated like a BitMEX or a Deribit, where you can just get nice Bitcoin out of it, guaranteed pretty much, and just attack the shit out of the chain and short it at the same time. Yeah. So if those products ever come to market, that's when it will most likely be true because you want to have uh, a hedge against your attack in case it goes wrong. Well, not even that. Like you want to be able to make and money make off money. Yes. You want to make money off the attack. Like how can you make? It's very hard to make a sizable amount of money off of a Bitcoin SV attack right now because it's a piece of shit chain that's did like you, not supported anywhere. Did you see what happened today or yesterday uh, to their chain in particular? I think somebody. I think Ryan X Charles uh, or somebody on the Bitcoin Cash SV team. I'm getting confused with which chain it is at this point. Uh, I think he's SV. I think he's SV too. Uh, I don't think there's any Bitcoin cashers anymore. They've just all dwindled away. They've disappeared. Yeah, they did not. That they did not win the uh, the shelling point war. Neither of them. But uh, I, I believe somebody uploaded a block with like a hundred megabyte block or something like that, and all the block explorers went down. Other <laughs> <laughs> nodes. All the, their six nodes all went down. Yeah. Or like blockchain went down or something like that. Well, that's block. great. They're going to just have to propagate that transaction for the rest of their fucking little ass existence. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Bitcoin SV not being attacked right now because uh, it's not as profitable as it, as it could potentially be if there were futures markets involved. Led by a fraud going to trend to zero long term. Never forget Craig Wright is a fraud. Uh, let's stay on the exchange tip. Gemini enabled back 32. Uh, you can send it. Straight to Wasabi now. Yeah, you can send straight to Wasabi from Gemini, and uh, they're using Blockstream Explorer as their explorer. So Blockstream.info, yeah. Um, so it seems like Gemini's uh, doing some good shit out there. Yeah, I mean, Blockstream.info is top two block explorers with OXT.me, I would say. So that's really good to see. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Beck32 is Beck32 is huge to yeah. see. Yeah, that's huge. Are they the first major exchange outside... I don't know. I only, I only, uh, BitMEX might withdraw to Beck32. BitMEX was like one of the first to switch to SegWit. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me if, if BitMEX was forward thinking on that. But, it, but at least out of all like the regulated fiat gateways, I think, I think they're the first big one to do it. Yeah. So shout out to the Winklevi. Uh, thanks for enabling that. And Beck32 is the new SegWit native address format. You have the lowest fees, the best privacy. It starts with the BC1. Um, yeah, 
And this is, uh, well, we have Bitmax on top of mind. We don't have this on the list, but it just made me think of it. They put out a good research paper on uh, the Lightning Network. They've been running routing nodes, and they just did, put out a really good research piece on really just pointed out how hard it is to be a good routing node, route, well, route, routing node. Uh, there's a lot of hands-on. Uh, it's a lot of active management, yeah, man. Yeah, it's a lot of active management. Challenge, channel balancing and... Mm-hmm. Uptime, you got to make sure your node never goes down. Your node goes down, then all of a sudden, you know, might get some money taken and yeah, people force closing channels on you. Yeah, and so uh, another thing that they pulled in that article is they dove into the return that they've been making from being a routing node. It seems to be at least a little bit profitable for them up to this point. But again, I think the more uh, pressing details of the article are around the the clunky UX and the the hands-on need the the need for hands-on activity with your routing nodes at this stage of lightning networks life you know it's amazing to me it's absolutely still very hands-on but it's amazing to me how much progress keeps getting made in like one month time two month time like i updated zap the most recent update to zap is like fantastic like to see like how your channels are balanced in a visual way and you can see it very easily they have a nice little colored bar uh jewel added something similar um you know i've I've been testing out the noddle for us and they have ride the lightning integration in it so you get all this channel information all in a nice visual gooey format you know because humans that's a human's work right humans need to it's so much easier to see it visually how your nodes connected, line. how you're routing stuff. And it's amazing how much progress gets made every every day. Yes. I'm I'm confident that this will get easier through time, but uh it is definitely not ready for the mainstream at this current uh iteration. You can't even really easily back up these things. So like yeah, it's definitely not ready for mainstream yet. But but it's it's being built. And it's fucking Way better than I expected it to be at this point. Me too. Me keep, too. I keep getting blown away. Right. Um, so shout out to everybody working on the Lightning Network and the people uh, helping to educate everybody out there. So oh, that was another thing. We got a Jewel update too. We did get a Jewel update. That was a pretty big update. Uh, what were the exact details? I'm fuzzy on that. The right interface now. is a lot better. Um, I think. I think now you can. I. Th- I think the channel management was a lot for a while there. Like. To use Jewel, you basically also had to use Zap. There was things you'd have to like go into Zap and handle, and then it would show up on Jewel. Now you can pretty much do everything um, in the extension directly and directly in the browser in the extension. Boss, shout out to Willow Burn and everybody working on that. Uh, more dev praise here. Did we talk about this last week? Russell Yanoski's PR get merged. No, we didn't. We did not talk about it. Ryan of Sky. Ryan of Sky. <laughs> so Russell Yanoski, uh, who's working at Chain Code Labs, has been working very diligently over the last 19 months on a very particular PR, which keeps the ball rolling uh, to help separate uh, the wallet GUI from the node in the Bitcoin Core uh, software repository. And this is a huge step in making Bitcoin more modular in the long run. Uh, this will help us become more modular. And uh, if anything, this one particular PR proves just how thorough and how arduous the Bitcoin core process can be and actually sparked a good debate about the Bitcoin core process, where it is right now and how it can improve. But this is something that in other 
software projects would seem trivial to sort of fix. It's a rebasement, uh, rebasing uh, libraries and stuff like that. But because Bitcoin uh, development is so uh, f not fragile, but it's uh, it's like nuclear warhead development. Like you have to be very careful, and even the simple task can take something like a year and a half. I mean, yeah, we've been talking about. I think since before I was even in Bitcoin, people have been talking about splitting it up. Like the whole idea is, is you'll have the node portion and then that portion's handling consensus and everything. The stuff that, you know, really makes or breaks the chain, the stuff that could lead to hard forks and stuff like that, unintentional hard forks. You s separate that out and then you can iterate and upgrade all the other components without worrying about them breaking consensus. Yeah, and another topic of conversation around modularity in Bitcoin recently has been Neutrino uh, and people fighting over Neutrino. And it's another example of something that, that should be uh, optional and can be modularly added to if you want to use it, you can. If you don't want to, you don't need to. Right, like if you have the node some, as something separate, then you can just... Yes, exactly. Add the pieces you want. And this is, again, this is, goes back to the Unix development philosophy. Carl Dong and I spoke a lot about this in the episode we recorded a couple weeks ago but it's just making bitcoin more in line with that philosophy of modularity of, of tools that do one thing very well and separating them so they're not interconnect interconnected and uh potential to have uh, attack surface increased if you're if you're trying to to worry about two things being connected at once i don't even know if that's a good way to describe it but whatever um Gemini back 32, Craig Ray is a thrall. Eclair, another lightning update. Eclair mainnet, full release. It's not on mainnet yet, though. I think it is mainnet. No, it's uh, it's on testnet. will be launched on mainnet in a few weeks. Really? Yeah. So receive over lightning is now enabled on Eclair mobile testnet. Mainnet version will be released in a few weeks. So if you guys... When did that tweet? That's a recent tweet, right? Oh, uh, that's from February. Oh, there you go. That's not I didn't, I didn't they just the released the main. So net. now it's released on mainnet. Yeah, that announcement was a few weeks ago. I didn't check that date. Yeah. Um, so so yeah. now you can receive. It runs a full note on your phone, and it can connect for the Bitcoin blocks, the Bitcoin D blocks. It can connect to your Electrum uh, personal server. So these guys are using Neutrino, I would imagine, right? I don't think so. They're using BTC D, no? No, but they can just you can connect to your Bitcoin node at home okay. through Electrum Personal Server. Okay. I I don't think they're using Neutrino. I think it's like a I think it's a legit. It's a the the they're using some kind of SPV type situation on. Uh, oh, maybe they're they're using Neutrino for the blocks if you don't connect to your own node, and then or Neutrino like thing, and then for Lightning it's just a straight full node, right? Because Neutrino's for Pulling in filters for actual Bitcoin blocks. Yes. All right. Dope. Uh, so this is for Android Android users only, correct? Yeah, iPhone sucks. Do you use uh Do you use this app? Eclair. I used to use it a lot in the beginning, but you can't. You couldn't receive, so it was kind of. Uh, it was kind of annoying. Yeah. I switched. You know, I, I switched. But I actually right now I don't really use Lightning on mobile at all. Yeah, it's too. I mean, it's too early. Yeah, I really want this. I the Zap app isn't out for Android. It's only out for iOS. I think. Uh, yes, I believe so. Um, but that's what I really would like. I would really like mobile Zap. Just connect. It's also really hard to remotely connect to your Lightning node. Why is that? 
I'm not, I'm, I'm not part, I, it's just a, I think the way it interfaces and, and, and connects through is just kind of a reliability clusterfuck going on right now. Yeah. I can imagine. I think the way to do it is, is like through Tor, there's some kind of remote connect, connection to Tor, similar to the way Samurai's doing it with Dojo, but that's not lightning, that's just regular, um, you know, there's a lot of security implications and privacy implications involved with all this shit. Bang bang. Um, yeah, no, and it's just a reminder. The stuff's getting built out slowly but surely, actually quicker than we expected. Like we said earlier, and but like one one step at a time. Like it was receive only, and now you can, or excuse me, it was send only at one point. Now you can receive and block by block, pull request by pull request, merge by merge. This stuff grows. Uh, well, like I think the problem is is like the reason it's. Re- the the reason they waited on receive is because we don't have watchtowers yet. So if you're running a, f- a lightning node on your phone, and you go offline, you run a risk there of losing some money. Yeah, and I think they might have just said fuck it <laughs> because we don't have watchtowers yet. Not yet. So I'm not positive on that note. So use with caution. Use all this shit with caution. But it seems like a really it's a great wallet, great team. This is the ACA. A-C-I-N-Q team. A-Sync. Um, into dark market news, Dream Market is shutting down. Largest public dark darknet market. Uh, they announced that they will be shutting down on February, or excuse me, April 30th, so the end of next month. Um, And they, get, they didn't get shut down though. That's like the thing. No, they, that so that's their announcement that I gave you the link to. Um, and then the next day, the FBI released a, a press release for their operation that they called Sabo Tor, which I guess is like a play on saboteur, but it has T O R as in Tor in it. Um, and they arrest. They announced that they arrested sixty-one vendors and buyers. They seized, they seized four million euros in cryptocurrency, two point million euros in cash, and thirty-five million euros worth of gold. That's kind of funny that they, gold bugs, uh, conducted one hundred and twenty-two interviews. It's like a pretty, pretty big operation. Pretty extensive. Fifty-one firearms. So saboteur? Did they? Did they break? Did they? exploit tour in some way it was between january 11th and march 12th 2019 was the it was the invest it started july 2018 but they didn't execute like the searches and stuff till january 11th but the saboteur uh title of that does that mean they like are they trying to hint that they that they exploited tour in some way i don't i don't think i i mean I think it's probably mostly good old-fashioned police work. Okay. It's just a clever name. All these dark markets work on on tour for the most part. So they probably thought they were being clever there. Um, there there's, uh, there's been lots of speculation for a while that they run a ton of tour, tour relay nodes and exit nodes trying to de-anonymize the system. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But uh, who knows how effective they are. I mean, look at the scale of it. Even those numbers, those aren't like the biggest numbers in the world. Uh, what like f- four four million euros in cryptocurrency? Like, there's a lot more on the dark markets than for that, right? So, like, if it was any kind of systemic 
It's probably similar to what they did with the Silk Road, right? Like you de-anonymize a couple guys, and you know you go for the head, and then once you get in, then you start. You know the biggest risk for these dark markets is the the mailing of the substances because you can't really do that in a distributed censorship resistant way. We, remember we were talking yeah, about the, the Russian, Russian one. The Russian ones, they're doing it right, where they're just dropping packages in the woods with uh with well, like in the city and stuff, like under a phone booth or something. You're just dropping GPS, to, uh, and then they give you the coordinates for where it's located. Yeah, but besides that, usually everyone's mailing it, right? So that's how you get them a lot of the time. Yeah, we need to get to the world uh, that Bitcoin sign guy envisions of tour like routing drones, the onion routed drones. Yes, where one drone drops it off to the next drone, <laughs> drops it off to the next drone. <laughs> Fucking love it. Cypherpunk future is upon us, freaks. Prepare accordingly. Just be aware. Just be aware. Uh, be aware of this. Asus software uh, was recently backdoored. This is you, a you topic. I haven't jumped into this. It was just an auto update that Asus had the computer manufacturer. Uh, their Windows computers were updated by malicious malicious software. Um, what was the intent of the malicious software? I'm not. I don't think they told us. No. But it only targeted certain individuals, which is interesting. Okay. Um, but could have targeted any of their users. The The reason is because these companies, for their updates, they use uh, signing keys to prove it's them issuing the update. The key got compromised. Asus was told the key was compromised. I think they waited like five months to patch the key. So the <laughs> exploit was in the wild. So you have to realize, like, if you have, when you get these computer vendors, this is not just a one-time trust thing like you're trusting them to handle their security in ways that don't completely jeopardize you uh i'm not trying to scare people out of updating you should in 99 percent cases be up to date as far as possible probably shouldn't be using windows probably shouldn't be using an asus computer you know now that we saw this with the asus at least uh, but you should be updating and you should just assume that your internet connected devices are compromised. Yeah, it's somebody's trying to fuck with you. Yeah. Always assume that. Always have your head on a swivel, freaks. And then if you act under that understanding, then your private keys will probably be safe in ninety percent of the times because you won't be put in that situation. Yes, exactly. Um, next topic, last topic we have here. We're probably gonna cut a little short because we're gonna record an episode right after this. Uh, Apple, Apple Card. Apple's getting into the the credit card game. It seems. And it's like more, it's not just credit card, right? It like, it, it bolsters the mobile payment. Yes. Yeah. They're trying to make Apple Pay more robust and more, uh, more like a, you're going to be able to get, it seems like they're going down a path where they're going to offer financial solutions. Yeah. More, more, they want, they want it to be more accessible, um, and more vertically integrated. Like they, like they, like with all of their products. Yeah. Does this um, mean we should stop working on Bitcoin? Is it even worth it anymore? <laughs> I remember when Apple Pay first came out, people were saying this. When Google Wallet came out, they've been saying it about Venmo and stuff, like the Krugmans of this world always like saying it. Uh, you know, these things, you'll probably be able to send zero. F I don't know if you can already. Can you send Apple Pay transactions from person to person like Cash App? I don't know. I imagine you will be in soon, <laughs> relatively in the future or whatever. You'll be able to send low-cost, relatively private, not censorship-resistant, though, transactions between users, to merchants, stuff like that, uh, 
this does not compete with Bitcoin because it does not have censorship resistance, but it does compete with centralized shitcoins because all they have to do is all they have to do is add Bitcoin deposit support and then Bitcoiners can get take advantage of relatively private, fast and free transactions on basically like a centralized layer too, right? That's what like same with Cash App. Cash App implements Bitcoin deposits, which they don't have yet. You know, then all of a sudden every single centralized chain that prioritizes low fee and fast transactions gets obviated. Yes. Um, and then Apple's also partnering with Goldman Sachs to offer some... Well, they run the card. Goldman Sachs runs the card. Runs the card. It's a MasterCard network. Goldman Sachs is the bank. Uh, don't worry. They're not going to sell your data to third parties, though. Yeah. <laughs> Apple says they don't They don't have access to your data, supposedly, but Goldman does. But don't, Goldman said they won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Goldman's not going to use that. In Goldman Sachs, we trust that data for anything. I do trust Apple, though. I trust that Apple is... I don't. You don't? No. Why not? You just don't trust anybody. Well, you can verify, first of all, because it's all closed source. That's true. And, you know, they've been really pushing this privacy angle really hard. Yeah. they've uh, During the tournament, they've had this uh, huge media TV commercial blitz. Yeah, I don't know. I uh, They're a very great... If they were playing ball with the NSA, that'd be a great coup for the U.S. government. Right. And this is actually something... My wife is in the advertising business, and she works for a big tech company as well, but apparently that's something that is on their like yearly themes is privacy and security. So even in the corporate boardrooms at these companies, it seems that uh, privacy and security is becoming more, more uh, fetch this, these days. Yeah, but it's mostly, you know, it's what, what's it called? It's they're like buttering. It's like butter up talk. It's bullshit. Yeah, it's, it's all flaky, but I think it, uh, it speaks to an ongoing conversation we have about apathy we we always say people won't care about privacy and security stuff but now that it's affecting corporate boardrooms maybe people are waking up yeah i mean i i think because they have to react to what right there's a profit there's a profit motive now to become more private with all the recent um leaks and and failures that have happened you know especially to like the facebook's and the and the google's uh there's yeah, there's definitely. I mean, I I think people like we said, we said in the past that as as people store more information online, the compromises will be bigger, and as these compromises happen, people will wake up to the reality that they're living in a very shaky privacy landscape and try and prioritize improving their privacy and sovereignty going forward yes so it seems like maybe people are waking up not going to hold my breath but uh let's keep pushing let's keep one pushing. person one person at a time one Just person, one at, person a time. at a time um that's all we got for the topics today what do you want to riff on what's uh should we tell them the block height is it too late to tell them the block height it's never too late we'll tell them the price too we already told them the price we told them the price what's the price it was at four four thousand uh, $83.33. At the beginning of the episode, it has risen to $4,089.61. Wow. It's, it's huge. Huge. Uh, the block height is 569350. That's pretty crazy. Or for 560,000 blocks. 569. Nice, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I don't know. What do you want to riff on? I don't know. I think uh, it was encouraging. Let's riff on what we talked about this morning or experience this morning. It was encouraging. Uh, it was very encouraging, very engaged class. And it was a blockchain class, so it wasn't like a Bitcoin's focus class. It no, was blockchain. I think, and think this was the first time they were really getting like the hardcore philosophy and uh, sound money, free speech money uh, pitch. We had a couple F heads in there, I think. Yeah, you think there were? Yeah, they were like kind of trolling us a bit with the questions and like laughing. Did you see them like laughing a little bit in the background? Yeah, I saw that. They were like looking at their computer and then their phone and then laughing a little bit. Yeah. Matt, are you going to beat up some, some college students? I, you got a little bit triggered when they brought up the energy thing. I did get triggered. You can't get triggered, Marty. You just got to calm and collectively be like, well, tough luck. Well, because it's a shit argument. Uh, it really triggers me. Because um, it's very bad false equivalencies. Why, why, why do people get angry about Bitcoin energy consumption and not cruise ship energy consumption? Blows yeah, you were going hard against cruise ships, bro. Fuck cruise ships. I would never go. You'll never find me on a cruise ship. Uh, and your energy consumption is very low on the list of reasons why. Uh, it mostly just, pertains to being in the ocean with people you don't know uh, and cheesy experiences you would have on that boat. It was just such a funny Didn't, thing that you jumped to straight away. You're like, what about cruise ship? <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that one? A cruise ship got stranded somewhere. It was like rocking back and forth. They had to like evacuate like 800 people via helicopter or something. That's happened a couple of times. And yeah. then they had the one that crashed like in Greece or whatever and spilled oil <laughs> everywhere. In the uh, Bitcoin will never crash and spill oil everywhere. Bitcoin will never crash and sp- spill oil everywhere. Um, in fact, if 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 a tanker crashed and spilled oil, I, I would imagine Bitcoin miners would show up and suck the oil up and yeah. use it to mine Bitcoin. We need floating Bitcoin miners <laughs> to take out oil slicks and mine with them. <laughs> Future free. F- uh, future business idea. That's a fun idea. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll end it on that. The free business idea, billion dollar idea. I said, no, the toilet idea is way better. Toilet than idea this sucks. Idea. Pooper sucks. <laughs> Pooper sucks. Um, thanks for joining us this week, freaks. Uh, let us know how you're liking the show. If you like it, please rate, subscribe, share. Uh, again, we got big things. We're gonna get a lot more interactive with you, freaks, moving forward. Uh, we'll we'll update you once we're ready with that stuff. Matt, any last words? Is this our shortest episode ever? 46 minutes. It's not too bad. That's pretty short. We have like kind of, we have some fun coming up for you on the next episode because it's going to be a four-person panel and we're literally recording it right after this. So Yeah, it's very, um, I'm very excited for this panel. Don't feel like we cheaped you out. That's going to be like kind of like an RHR TFTC hybrid thing going on. So that'll be fun. Very excited for this conversation. We have to go get ready for it. So peace and love. Stay humble. Stack sets.